Legends of the Lost Empire, Age of Myth, by Michael J. Sullivan. Chapter 11, The Tudor. There were seven clans of the Rulin Ruins and three for the Gula Ruins. Each clan had a chieftain. When it was necessary to unite, a single leader was named and we called him the Keenig, which eventually came the word King. The Frey had tribes instead of clans and no chieftains. Instead, they had a singular ruler who was called the Thane. The Book of Rim. The three stones clattered to the marble floor. One rolled toward Aryon, who picked it up and handed the smooth, egg-sized rock back to Mawindale. The Thane's son acted as if the little stone weighed a ton, every movement dramatizing extreme effort. Even his breathing appeared to labor, each exhalation a long sigh. He stood before her, frowning, head bowed and shoulders slumped so that the sleeves of his asaka slipped down and covered his hands. I can't do it, he told her. Try again, Arion insisted. I don't want to. The two were in the palace's entrance hall, which Arion had chosen for his high ceiling. She chased away the servants to give them privacy, and it was there, before the grand staircase and among the lavish frescoes, tapestries, polished stone, and vases filled with flowering plants, that the two faced off in a battle of wheels. I don't care. Do it anyway. Arion folded her arms in a gesture that should have ended the debate, but this was no typical student of art. Mawindale was the prince, the 25-year-old son of Fane Lothian, and every one of those years had been spent isolated in the Talwara palace. Surrounded by servants and those eager to curry favor, the prince had developed an inflated sense of himself. He glared back defiantly, his anger unmistakable. Most people wouldn't risk antagonizing the son of the only fray endowed by the god Feral with the power to kill or order the death of another of their kind. But being too lenient wouldn't help Mawindale or the future of their people. After spending time with him, Arion was sure Fane Fenelius wanted her grandson schooled in more than just the art, and she was going to do exactly that. You may be the prince, she thought, but I've lived more than 2,000 years. Which well do you think goes deeper? If she was going to teach him anything, she had to establish respect. As far as Arya knew, the only person Mawindale held any respect for, other than his father, was First Minister Grindel. Not a surprise, Grindel was a legend and held in awe by nearly every Muralith. Arion didn't waver. She stood with folded arms, staring directly back. After several minutes, the prince's ire turned to bafflement. Servants who'd been with him since birth weren't likely to lock eyes with him for long. This was only their third meeting, his second lesson, and the prince was testing her boundaries. Centuries of meditation and training gave her a considerable edge. Arion didn't so much as blink. The prince struggled to mimic her resolve. The lad was stubborn, if nothing else. That was good. It showed a strength of character. She could work with that. In the stillness of the silent war, Arion could hear the rustle of leaves and the songs of birds entering an open window accompanied by a pleasant spring breeze. Deeper in the palace, she could make out the muffled music of the Ashkamnadon choir practicing for their performance before the fane. She settled in for a long battle and focused on her breathing each inhalation and exhalation evenly paced. Aryan was just becoming comfortable when Mawindale's glare wavered. The prince huffed and with a scowl picked up the stones again, two in one hand, one in the other. He threw the first, but with too much force. Aryan was grateful she had insisted on practicing under the high ceiling of the entrance hall. 
Moindale quickly threw the second stone, too quickly. The height and timing were both off. Is he really so inept or feigning incompetence out of defiance? The stones came down like projectiles, and Mawindale chose to dodge rather than catch. She didn't criticize his reluctance. From such a height, the rocks would hurt. The stones hit the floor again with loud cracks. See? Mawindale shouted, putting hands on hips. He pursed his lips so tightly that they went white. Yes, yes, I see. You've proved me wrong. That's wonderful. Now, if you'd actually juggle the stones, I'd appreciate that even more. It's stupid, and I don't see what this has to do with the art, he hummed, and with a tension-filled flick of his fingers, the stones rose and chased one another in a circle, like a wheel spinning in the air. Why should I use my hands when I can already do this with the art? Your lessons make no sense. Yes, you're very clever, but that isn't today's lesson, she said. Arvion picked up a wine glass from a nearby table. She'd been enjoying the light, delicate ambrosia while waiting for the prince. The glass was empty except for a dry red ring at the bottom. Catch, she said, and tossed it at Mawindale. Panic flashed across his face. The prince reached out with his control hand, and the crystal goblet bounced off his fingers. He tried to make a grab at the other, almost had it, but the glass slipped away, as did the stones. Everything struck marble. The stones clattered, the glass shattered. Hmm, Arvin mused, tapping her upper lip. Something seems to have gone wrong there, didn't it? Yeah, you threw a glass at me. Imagine if it had been a knife, a javelin, or a ball of fire. And instead of stones, what of those rocks were people's lives? She looked down at the mess at his feet. Perhaps if you had learned how to concentrate on more than one thing at a time, they wouldn't all be dead right now. Arion, the boy said, looking down. They aren't people. They're stones. Lucky for you. Or should I say lucky for them? Now, pick up those poor dead bodies and try again. And the glass? That was, Arion coughed, and the eight large pieces, 17 shards, and 2,374 grains of powdered dust leapt off the floor and reassembled themselves into a glass, sitting on the table, perfectly restored. Even the residue stains remained. Mawindale stared at the goblet. How did you do that? By paying attention when others were teaching me and not questioning their methods. The prince contemplated this. His eyes shifted between the glass and the stones while he rubbed the stubble on his head. Like all Miralith, Moindale had shaved his head, but it had been a few days and a dark shadow was forming. Arion couldn't understand how he could allow that. She couldn't go two days without shaving. It didn't feel clean. As Moindale bent to pick up the stones, the doors of the grand entrance burst open and boomed as they banged against the walls. Arion didn't need to look to know who it was. Grindel's aversion to touching doors bordered on obsession. He avoided touching most things, preferring to cultivate lavish fingernails long enough to curl. Instead, he used the art to punch doors open and always overdid it. Arion knew the excessive force wasn't due to a lack of skill or control, just one of Grindel's many idiosyncrasies. His issue with doors was among the least peculiar. Grindel didn't offer so much as a glance in their direction as he marched across the hall. The jingling of tiny chains draped between piercings in his ears, cheeks, and nose accompanied each step. A long golden cape flowed in his wake. Arion rolled her eyes. Grindel was using the art to summon a breeze to make his mantle billow. He maintained a second weave to enhance his color, which was brighter than any dye could achieve. Moindale had a different reaction. 
he watched the first minister with wide-eyed eagerness. As Grendel passed them without breaking his stride, he barked out, You! Follow! Do you think he means me or you? Moindale asked Arion, unable to contain his excitement. I suppose we should go find out. Go on, you won't be able to concentrate now anyway. The boy sprinted after the first minister, toward the throne room. Arion bent down, picked up the rocks, and placed them in her satchel. Although ordinary, the stones were the same ones she'd learned with. Arion kept few keepsakes, but these were three of her most prized. She had hoped they would somehow make things easier with the prince by instilling the same sense of wonder in him as mastering them had in her. So far, things weren't going as she had hoped. When she looked up, Moindale was already out of sight. Arian sighed. Grendel was a tough act to compete against. As the winner of the Granthium Art Tournament each year as far back as anyone could recall, he was the idol of every muralith. Arian was in the minority. She couldn't say she cared for him. Although Fenelius hadn't mentioned anything, Arion suspected that the old Fane had shared Arion's opinion. I wonder what she would have made of Trilos. Who or what he was remained a puzzle. She hadn't seen him since that one meeting, and even though she inquired about him everywhere she went, no one had heard of anyone by that name. Her failed efforts to unmask a stranger deepened the mystery to the point that she almost doubted the encounter altogether. Arion caught up to the pair outside the throne room. Even Grendel didn't dare blast over that door, but she was surprised he had waited for her. Your flawless magnificence, I have news, Grendel said to the closed doors, and a moment later they opened. Grendel entered, his cape whipping like the tail of a cat, nervous about it getting caught. Arion and Mawindale followed. The throne room was precisely that, a room for the throne. The chamber needed to be massive because the forest throne consisted of six extremely old and intertwined trees of different varieties, each representing one of the six original tribes of the fray. A mass of roots formed the room's floor, and the ceiling was an impenetrable canopy of branches and leaves. The fane's chair predated everything except the door. The forest throne was the second oldest thing in Irvin, and perhaps the world. The room, the whole palace, had come later. Your Majesty, a bird has arrived with confirmation from Alan Riss on the matter of Nifron and his Galantians, Grindel said. He and Mowindale stood at the foot of the forest throne, where Fane Lothian sat listening. They have indeed refused to obey your edict and assaulted Pedregar before escaping to the wilderness of Rulin. How is Pedregar? Did they kill him? The Fane asked. The Frey's supreme ruler and divinely chosen voice of the god Pharaoh sat with one leg over the tendril arm of the magnificent throne, absently strumming a seven-string feller. The great chamber wasn't designed for music, and the soft notes were lost in expanse, making weak, wistful sounds. Fane Lothian wore a green robe and the familiar gold cast circlet of leaves, the same one that had graced Vanellius's head for as long as Argon had lived. Seeing it on his bald head, she conceded Vanellius's argument that hair had its beauty. No. Grindel reported. Petrograd is alive, but seriously injured. So where are they now? Unknown. I don't expect they'll return to Allen Rist. Not on their own, that is. They'll have to be brought to justice. Lothian sighed. I didn't want it to be this way. Excuse me, my fame, but I'm a bit lost, Arian said. Exactly what are we talking about? Nifron, son of Zephyron, was a commander at the Allen Rist frontier outpost. 
son of Zephyron, the Instari who challenged you for the throne? Lothian nodded. I doubted his son would give me his unwavering loyalty, so I replaced him with Petrigar. Nifron took the change worse than I expected. Indeed. After beating the new commander bloody, he deserted, Grendel added. That's horrible, Arian said. I had no idea conditions out there had become so atrocious. Few do, Grendel told her, and we need to keep it that way. All these centuries stationed on the borderlands, all these years living among savages, has bred descent among the Instaria. They have grown wild and insubordinate, and the Galanteans are the worst example of this. They're more ruined than fray now. Arion frowned as she noticed how Moindale stood with hands grasped behind his back in the same stance as Grindel. Uncivilized barbarians. Grindel's usual voice could make good morning sound like a death sentence, but he spoke now with even greater brutality. Arion thought Grindel saw himself as the epitome of culture. Dark eye makeup, half a dozen facial piercings, and an obsession with wearing only gold were all attempts to demonstrate his refinement. As fastidious as he was about his appearance, the art was his true addiction. Fenelius had warned about the temptation to overindulge. Power has a way of seducing by saying what you want to hear. Remember, it's easier to believe an outlandish lie confirming what you suspect than the most obvious truth that denies it, the old fame had said. Such insubordination is dangerously unchecked, my fame. I advocate execution, Grindel said. Lothian considered this, then shook his head. I don't agree. They only beat Petrigar. They didn't kill him. If they had crossed that line, they haven't crossed it. Yet. Are you willing to take such a risk? I may be the fame, but I still need justification. Pharaoh's law grants me the power, but I must be judicious in its use. Grindel looked irritated, more so than usual. Seeing any expression beneath all the rings and chains was difficult. Arion suspected that he walked carefully through the thicket of the garden so he didn't catch the hoops or chains on any branches. Maybe that's the point, his way of displaying he's above such mundane concerns. Given the length of his fingernails, he certainly couldn't juggle her rocks or, she smiled, open doors. Pharaoh's law was created for ordinary fray, not the Mirilith, Grindel said. The art has elevated us, and we cannot be bound by the law of a god when we have become gods ourselves. Arion saw Moindale nodding, a look of wonder and admiration in his eyes. He would be the next fame, and it was her responsibility to make sure he was a good ruler. She stepped forward. How wonderful! I wasn't aware we had achieved divinity. When exactly did that happen? Her tone caught them all by surprise. And now that we have, she continued, please tell me when we'll be having tea with Brother Pharaoh. My mother would love his recipe for vegetable soup. As for myself, I'd like some advice on how to create my own race of people, for that ability has eluded me. Grindel's chains rattled as he turned to glare, his look so venomous that she prepared to weave a shield. He wasn't beyond abusing his power. There were those who accused Grindel of excessive violence during tournaments and told stories of him using the art in romantic encounters. One ex-lover claimed their trist had resulted in her death and resurrection, which proved that not all the rumors were true. Still, Arion once had seen Grindel torture another fray, a simple Gwendry farmer. As far as she could tell, he'd done so for the thrill, seeing how far he could go without killing the man, not unlike holding one's own hand close enough to a flame to almost burn. Grindel didn't mean it that way, Lothian said. A flip of his hand revealed how oblivious the fane was to the cataclysmic eruption pending only three feet away. But he makes a valid point. 
Mirrolith are a breed above everyone else. It's foolish and outdated to think otherwise. We might not be gods, but compared with the other tribes, we might as well be. Then we should seek to be benevolent gods, yes, Aryan said. Treat other tribes the way we would like Pharaoh to treat us? Exactly, Lothian said. We have a responsibility to our own, and the Instaria are monsters of our making. They want to return. Did you know that? You can't allow it, Grindle said, reluctantly pulling his gaze away from Arion. They can't hope to assimilate into Frey society any more than a room could. There would be a terrible disruption. Arion noticed how the first minister used the term Frey as if it no longer applied to himself. Come now, Grindle. It's not quite as bleak as all that, the Thane said. Runes are vile, filthy beings living in makeshift dwellings of dirt and rocks. They wallow in their own waste. You've seen them? Moindale asked excitedly. You've crossed the Nidwalden River? Yes, once, many centuries ago. You left Erevin? Arvion asked. Why would you do that? My mother required it. During the Durg War, she wanted me along to see it for myself. And you saw a rune? Moindale asked it again. The Fane chuckled. Not a rune, many runes. They multiply at a ridiculous rate. A single female can give birth to a brood. Some mothers have as many as 12 or 14 offspring. 14? Argon said, shocked. Yes, well, not at one time. At least, I don't think, Lothian explained. But they have been known to bear a single litter of two or three, possibly more. There must be thousands, Argon said. Tens of thousands, Lothian corrected. We actually don't know how many. Are they dangerous? Mowindale asked. No more than any other animal, Lothian said. In fact, a bear or a big cat is far worse. The runes are terrified of us. They would scatter if we came near. You are correct, my fane, Grindle said. I shouldn't have grouped the Instaris so easily with runes. But it doesn't change the fact that centuries among the barbarians have made the Instaria unfit for Frey society. Similarly, I don't think the Instaria and Alanris are capable of dealing with Nifron and his Galantians. So you have no confidence in Petrigar, the Thane asked. Grindel looked at Lothian as if he'd made a bad joke. Nifron is dangerous, my Thane, and one of your best warriors. I think you would be wise to send a Merlin. The Instaria revere Nifron and his Galantians. The longer they avoid judgment, the greater the risk becomes they could fuel a rebellion, as we saw with Zephron. But that wasn't a rebellion. Arian said, Zephyrin followed the law and acquired permission from the Aquila to blow the horn of Galindora and challenge for the throne. It was legal, Lothian told her, but it revealed a mindset, a propensity for dissent against the rule of the Merlin. That I don't appreciate. I'll go, Moindale announced, eyes shifting between his father and Grindel. I'll bring this Nifron back on a leash. The frontier is no place for a child, Lothian declared. I'm not a child. This united them all in a smile, except for Mawindale. Actually, this is why I invited you to this meeting, Arion. I think you should be sent to subdue this artless rebel, Grindle said. Arion was stunned and not at all pleased. I have responsibilities here. I need to continue Mawindale's lessons. He's woefully behind. I can feel for you, Grindle said. The delight on Mawindale's face was unmistakable. Besides, as a tutor to the next fame, wouldn't you agree that crossing the Nidwalden River and seeing the greater world would enhance your ability to educate the prince? A good argument. Too good. 
she didn't have a response. It shouldn't take long, Grendel assured, most likely to preempt any objection. Certainly not one for such as you. I don't see how I'm any better suited than any other Miralith, Argon said. You're too modest. Were you not handpicked by the great Fenelius to be Mawindale's tutor? And didn't she bestow upon you the honorific of Senselor? Surely you possess talents that impressed her. Why else would she choose you over me? Here is your chance to utilize such skills. He's maneuvering me out of the way. What she didn't know was how long Grindel had been planning the move. The comment about Fenelius choosing her over him was troubling. He hadn't shown any interest in teaching the prince, but that didn't mean he hadn't been harboring resentment. Aryan had the nagging sense that she ought to resist the invitation, but Lothian was nodding with a smile in her direction. The decision had been made already, and her opinion no longer mattered.